Oh my god, you savages, joining us for another episode of the Greg Method Show. It's me, Greg, here with you in Phoenix, Arizona. Voice a little cranky after some laryngitis. Happy to be back doing the show. Our ongoing series, you know, uh, the country was founded by a lunatic fringe couple percent of Americans who volunteered and showed up when most didn't. And uh, we all talk about the Minutemen and we see the uh, we see the adornment on the New England Patriots helmets and their jerseys. And it's part of the vernacular and the American consciousness, the volunteer who rises up to save the day and does something righteous and changes the world. It's all part of our consciousness. It just rattles around quietly in the background. But when do we actually do it anymore? You know, how do you become part of that? It's happened. I mean, wouldn't it have been cool to have been there and been at Washington's side at the end of Valley Forge, not at the beginning of Ford. But wouldn't it, how amazing would it have been? How many of you think you would have signed up and gone with Washington? How many of you would have crossed Delaware? How many of you would have gone to Yorktown? How many of you would have been at the Battle of Fort Wilderness? How many of you would have actually shown up? And the answer is a few of us would have. Um... Everybody who volunteered and has kind of stood a post, kicked down a door, and held a rifle, that's the kind of person who would have done it. No disrespect to you intel wonks, but that's just the way it is. There's a weird group of people who don't mind kicking down doors and doing dirty deeds. And uh, you don't get a chance to do that once you turn into a middle-aged fat fucker like myself. So what do you do? Well, when you see the Republican Jeopardy, you do something. And a lot of times people, Greg, why do you do the show? What's a lot of energy? Why all of this? I see the three most important things of the Republic is inalienable human rights endowed upon us by the creator from which we grant a small amount away to a ruling class and ensure through a bill of rights, not fourth, not third, not eighth, first amendment, free speech, assembly, and press. And they are not doing their job, and they haven't done it for a long time. And it hurts to speak up and say the truth and pull back the layers of bullshit and agenda that have been layered onto everything, which we call the swamp. It hurts your business. It hurts your marriage. It hurts your family relationships. It hurts your extended relationships. And in many ways, emotionally, it's like being at war. You have to stand up and you have to take the chance and it hurts. I heard Charlie Kirk say, people ask him, say, Charlie, what should we do? And he said, whatever you're doing, if it doesn't hurt, you're not doing enough. And it's part of the zeitgeist for this. The zeitgeist for this is if a free and independent press won't do its job and it's going to collude with one side, which is decidedly gone Marxist and lunatic fringe and abandoned the vast swath of America that makes it happen, then what should we do? Here's what we do. We put on a podcast and we listen to the truth while we're at work, while we're driving to work, while we're dropping the kids at school on the way to work, while we're working. We listen and we hopefully get educated and we hear a plurality of thought. 
and then we let the thing that we really believe in, which is the free marketplace of ideas, we let it unfold, and we let our everything I need to know I learned by second grade, inner self, guided by some, maybe some divine spirit and parenting, we make a decision and we vote. So all I can do now, since I can't kick down doors anymore, my right knee sucks, since I can't go running through a town square and blame bad guys because I've got no win for it, I'm too old for all that. What I can do is pick up my musket. I can put on my blue frock. I can join George Washington in a 250-year-old battle that has to happen every generation and fight the good fight. And I appreciate you being part of that. Today, we're going to be talking to Blake Masters. He's a venture capitalist tech guy, and he'll correct me on my characterization of that if I was off. He's a venture capitalist tech guy who is stepping in uh, to take the seat that Mark Kelly currently sits in as a U.S. Senator, junior U.S. Senator from the state of Arizona. It's not Mark Kelly's seat. He doesn't deserve it. He shouldn't be there. He's a puppet. I think he's a hack. If he was here, I'd tell him to his face. I wonder how a patriot, an astronaut, a veteran, and a pilot could be so goddamn wrongheaded and be such a puppet and agree with Pelosi and Schumer the most conflicted scumbags who've ever occupied their seats, in my opinion. So, we've got a young man from Arizona who has cut a wide path for himself by a young age, and he's jumping into a race in a big way, and he's putting his money where his mouth is. We're going to talk to him today. Blake, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. It's great to be with you, and uh, thanks for having me on. This is incredible. Well, thanks. I, you know, I, they all stop clapping right at the same time. It's fantastic. <laughs> Funny how that works. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. uh, appreciate you being here. I know it was kind of, uh, it's tough getting people to schedule all this in while they're doing the hustle. Um, you know, I think about uh, Bruce Springs, Bruce, one, a Bruce Springsteen song, one of my favorite Marxists. He says, uh, he says all men want to be rich and rich men want to be king and the king ain't satisfied till he rules everything. What's your... Uh, tell me a little bit about your ascension here. You're a young guy, ri- born and raised around Tucson. Born in Denver, but moved to Tucson when I was four. Okay, so, so you're, that's Arizona. So right? you're almost native. Almost native. You're, you're native. I'm a- native. native. You're, I'm native. You're native. Nice. All right. And uh, grew up around Tucson. Yep. Where'd you go to school? High school. Greenfields. Is that here in small? Arizona? Yep. Small private school in Tucson. I think it went bankrupt two years ago. Okay. Graduated in class of like 24. All right. You know, so tiny, tiny. School. How'd you get into Stanford? Uh, I was a good student. Yeah. And back then, you know, they let good students in. If even if you even if you were a white middle class guy, they'd let you in. I probably wouldn't have a chance today, right? And you, conservative white middle class guy? Nope. How'd you do on your SATs? Uh, pretty well. Did you get sixteen hundred on your SAT? No, no, it was high fourteens or low fifteens. Okay, I, nice. I took it as a sophomore, junior. Yeah. Nice. I've been going through that with my daughter. You know, she she wants to go to Wharton, and I said, well, let's see what your SAT scores are like. You know. Increasingly, the schools are not accepting SAT scores because I SAT know. scores are racist. They're Haven't too factual. They're too factual. Yeah. So, um, you know, us plain spoken Westerners, we just get branded racists everywhere we go. Um, and it's funny, it doesn't matter how many people of color I have in my life personally, how many I'm uh, people of color that I'm friends with, and people that I forget that are of color that I it doesn't even register with me because it's really not part of my judgment screen for human beings. 
as a capitalist, I'm into a meritocracy of thought and ideas and success. Like what works? You know, like I don't. We don't obsess about race every uh -uh. day like the left does. I obsess about what works. Confidence. So performance. You've been uh, uh, president or CEO at the Thiel Group. Is that Thiel, right? Yeah, I ran Peter Thiel's Thiel, investment okay. firm, Thiel Capital. I was chief operating officer. Are you also his? Are you still there now? I resigned in February. Yeah, turns out campaigning's a full time job. So okay, it was uh, definitely time. So, um, and for those of you who don't know, Peter Thiel. Uh, is a kind of elusive billionaire venture capitalist and you've had a lot of direct face time with him and he's pretty close with president trump i think also right president trump called him a friend for life friend in, for life in 2016 all right nice so. nice so you've got to spend plenty of time with him where does he does, does he reside in this part of the country or he's in la he's in la he's okay. in la and miami right. i tried to get him we moved the office from san francisco to la in 2018 i tried to get him to come to scottsdale I said, dude, it's just a matter of time. Like you can flee the dysfunction of San Francisco and get to LA, but LA is just a few years behind right. SF, right? Eventually he's gonna have to leave California. Right. Uh, he knows that. So we'll try to try to get him to Arizona here pretty soon. Oh, that'd be great. So, um, I mean, now uh, talk to me a little bit about this ascension because you're, you've gone, you're 35. So constitutionally you're right at the doorstep of being even eligible to jump into the Senate. And you got a young face. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm five years past. Is it? Oh, is it it's 30? thirty? Yeah. Oh, it's twenty-five, thirty, and thirty-five for president. That's right. right. That's right. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I was, so I was thinking president. Here, here. By the founding father standards, man, I'm, I'm an old guy. Yeah, you know? and by neoclassicists, you're ready for the, <laughs> but you're ready for the White House. So, um, what's the drive for a guy your age? Um, are, are, have you made enough money you can kind of retire and jump into public service? There's something to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've made my money. Um. I can. It's a you know, gauche question, but well, everybody wants to know. People that. don't like to talk about it. Look, yeah. and it's. I think that's actually kind of interesting, right? Because I know DC will try to get their hooks into me mm -hmm. and try to corrupt me once I'm there. Of course. Two of the primary vectors by which you get corrupted when you get to DC. One, if you're if you're a male, right? You're straight male. Uh, it's women, right? Well, I met my wife in middle school. We've been together basically ever since. Are you Mormon? Uh, I'm not Mormon. I'm Catholic. Okay. Um, but uh, so so that's not a, a vector of temptation for me. And then uh, money. Right. I think you, how many, I'm sick of seeing members of Congress go, they get in poor and they come out rich. Right. President Trump did it the right way. You don't have to be rich to serve, obviously, but like he went in rich and he came out less rich. He took a hit for this country. And um, I've made enough to, to see my kids off until they're 18, you know, to raise them. And then my wife and I can focus on what we want. And so right now it feels like, like a good time to pause my business career. And I hope it's a temporary pause. I'm not going to get in there and stay for five terms like Joe Biden or whatever. Um, but I see us losing the country. I think, you know, what you said in your opening was right. We have this bipartisan elite, right? The ruling class, the establishment, call it whatever you want. Who are the same? And they've just, yeah, it's the uniparty, right? And they've yeah. just failed. They've failed this country. It's not just the last 18 months, although I agree that Biden is like a dumpster fire. Uh, but it's, it's actually in the last at least 20 or 30 years you could probably trace the failure back longer than that oh yeah and i'm tired of this political class that's out of touch with normal people um i i, I knew that mark kelly was going to be bad i'll be honest and say he's been far more left-wing and far worse than i would have thought even and i looked around who was likely to run i didn't think any of those guys could beat mark kelly um i thought i'd be a good candidate i think i'm proving that out i thought i can beat this guy and then not just stop there because too many republicans I think you just act like winning the election is enough. 
and you congratulations you're in you have an r next to your name and no i think we need new and bold leadership in the senate and i think i understand all these modern threats big tech esg scores chinese style social credit systems right we can talk about all this i understand this stuff like i've grown up with the modern progressives i know the people who are like running these companies and who are running the White House. It's not Joe Biden, right? He doesn't even know where he is. Right. It's these millennials who have been educated. It's a millennial Politburo. That's exactly, exactly right. And I feel like I understand these people. I know what they're doing, and I think I know how to stop them. And so I said, man, this is this is my turn. I can do this. So how do you go from being a chief operating COO, right? Mm -hmm. How do you go from being top of the C-suite to jumping in one of a hundred gomers. I've considered most of the senators buffoons. I think most of them are buffoons. Unfortunately, that's probably true. How do you jump in and be effective and affect change one of a hundred when you're used to being a boss man? Yeah, look, I know it'll be frustrating. And it's a question I get a lot. Blake, you sound great, but you're only one vote. Like, how are you going to single-handedly fix everything? And it's like, well, I won't single-handedly fix everything. But I think uh, while people maybe overestimate what one person can do in one year, think we all radically underestimate what a small handful of people can do in just a few years, right? You get me in, you get J.D. Vance in, we'll join, and I think J.D. Vance is going to win in Ohio uh, next week. You, you you mentioned him, are you close with him? Uh, yeah, he's a, he's a good friend. Okay. Um, you get us working with Josh Hawley and Tom Cotton, and, you know, Ted Cruz is, I think, usually pretty good, sometimes less good, but um, we have a few good ones, and all of a sudden you get three or four or five senators on the same page. And there's a new balance of power. You know, I'm tired of just, I mean, the Senate doesn't even debate right now. Right. You know, leadership just tells people, and this, the House basically works like this even more. Leadership just tells people, here's what's happening. Get in line. Otherwise, your career will suffer. It pisses it's like me off. That. You know, ostensibly, you'd think we've got 100 bright, good citizens there. Where is their work? Where is What are they doing all day? I mean, you put me in a Senate office with a staff of four or five bright young people that I bring along with me or 20 yep. and say, Hey guys, here's how we change the world. Now get me my allies, get me my yarn strings up on the wall, get me my pictures. Let's build our allies, yes. get the chess game afoot and let's crush the leadership with great ideas. They can't say no to where is everybody doing that? You know, they're naming highways and naming buildings after, right. you know, people that, you know, who cares? Yeah, and you get these hearings, and sometimes, you know, the, the younger Republican senators, they lay into people, and it's nice, <clears> and hey, Rand Paul, he did great work getting Fauci to perjure himself on the stage, right? But then the cameras turn off, you know, C-SPAN goes home, and then what happens, right? Right. And I couldn't agree with you more, but this well, is why it's not. And you know, one, one, one cut on this is, I think people just get in, and it's a machine. I've seen it campaigning, right? There's, you know, like no political consultant would advise going and just saying what you think on a podcast. Everything's supposed to be bullet points and scripted talking That's points. changing. Trump sure changed and that. Trump is changing that. And yeah. I think that is a healthy, healthy change. Me but too. I will tell you, when people get in office, especially in the U.S. Senate, they just freeze up. They become temperamentally conservative because the dirty little secret is, I think fully like 98 out of 100 of these people have a secret plan to become president. That's what they're thinking about. And that just causes you to focus group everything and, and not, you know, look at how few of them defend, I think zero actually, defended Kyle Rittenhouse right. while that was happening. And it's like, I knew Kyle Rittenhouse was innocent. The day it literally happened. Literally the day it happened. That night I was just All like piecing to together, watch right? All you had to do is watch it. But why, why is nobody in our government like coming to bat for him? Right. 
and that was really crazy. And I think none of my c competition in the race did that. I, about, meanwhile, I'm taking to Twitter every day. And the January like 6th, and yeah. the January 6th thing. I mean, this is another travesty that is happening and almost nobody's saying anything except a few fringe people. And, uh, you know, it's, it's weird to see the disruption that's going on right now. And I love seeing the disruptors disrupted. Uh, I know the left coast and uh, the techies all talk about, they love being disruptors and disruption technology and disruption apps. And uh, you see uh, what's happened with Twitter mm -hmm. in the last week. And I've just kind of been sitting, it's almost like, I, I'm just like, it's almost like watching Muhammad Ali fight for the first time. You're like, yeah. okay, we've seen this guy like, you can't tell him he doesn't understand. He started a rocket company. Yeah. He, a dude my age, replaced NASA with his side project. Single-handedly, yeah. Yeah, and, and and oh, and he owns a car company. Nobody's done that since Ford. Right. Like, you know, the, the guy's a fucking baller. And not only that, he's projecting himself with this youthful vigor yeah. to affect. And what's crazy is the world's mad at him, and all he is saying is, I want an opened playing field for... He's not even on our wavelength. He's not politically conservative. He's not particularly ideological, right? He just cares about free speech. Right. And that's enough to make you a rabid anti-progressive today. Which is uh, bizarre. And I, it's one of the great outcomes of the Trump presidency, which I really liked. Um, the thing about Trump is he's so willing to have the fight that everybody has to identify themselves who fights him. Mm-hmm. And you find out who everyone is mm -hmm. and he revealed everyone mm -hmm. it was unbelievable i was uh i was elated by the whole thing i mean the day he announced uh i i you know hoisted the mainsail over my uh, ship and said i'm i'm my captain let me know what you want and i thought it was just going to be good for the supreme court and i wanted him to kind of kick kick over the money changers tables in the temple you know what i mean and and then he he did so much more and i went Oh my God. Like, in the face of incredible resistance, yeah. right? Um, I mean, the left wing, literally, they call themselves the resistance, but also the rhino sort of establishment, right? Uh, oh, the Republicans were the agenda. worst. Yeah. Imagine if he'd had half the resistance and some cooperation, because I, I, I look at the whole thing and I know you, I think you're kind of Trumpian. Is that a fair? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Um, it, it's so funny to me to watch somebody who was in spite of everything, whether you're a leftist or a rightist, you have to sit back and go, man, that guy figured something out and he flipped on the country with the flip of a switch. I mean, it took nine months and the country just turned on after we'd been listening to 10, 12 years of mm -hmm. this is the new normal, it's mm -hmm. the new post-economy, the new post-modern economy. And he comes in and flips it on like it's 1943. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh my God. And you'd think anybody would say, hey, look, the way to stay in power, because they all just want to stay in power. Let's just turn the country on. Why would you do anything else? Ex except we're watching them ideal uh, ideologues basically crash the ship into the rocks. Yeah, they identified him as, as this avatar of everything that they hated and almost precisely when his policies delivered for the American people, that just makes them resent it more. Right. Right. Which just makes me think that this uniparty, the the establishment, you know, I think the progressive left drives it, but a lot of Republicans are complicit. They don't actually have the best interests of this country and, and normal people living in it at heart. I agree. It's just that simple. I mean, it's kind of a startling admission, right? Like our leaders do not actually care about us. And in, in many cases, they do things like open up the southern border 
it kind of signals that they hate us. They hate this country. And I think the progressive left, especially, is ashamed of this country. Like, yeah. is AOC a patriot? No. Maybe it's mean to say no, but like, sorry, no. She's ashamed of this country. They want to teach everybody that, oh, Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. Therefore, throw out the Declaration, throw out the, the Constitution. Right. Um, and and if you do that, you, you get to this very dark place. But I think they don't believe in nations uh, abstractly, and they don't believe in the United States concretely. And that's why they're pursuing this open borders globalist agenda. You know, they lack humility. Oh, absolutely. And uh, it comes, the lack of humility comes with godlessness. Mm -hmm. And I'm not like a big Bible basher at all. And I think people who know me closely, I keep my faith very private to myself, but I'm not, no, you know, I'm not a big religious pusher in any direction. But uh, if you depart from the God uh, equation in your life, you better find a way to stay humble. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, and, and people who are engaged with God they're reminded every Sunday to be humble. That's right. Uh, because of, uh, you know, the nature of the universe and the, the nature of that whole religious paradigm. Uh, people that are godless, they don't have anything to ground them for that humility, which requires you being able to say you're wrong. That's right. I'm wrong. It's a really important point. It's like, you know, I think I've been blessed with, with certain talents and certain gifts, and I think I have to use those to the most of my ability. Like, I feel called to run for office. I think I'll do a good job and win and then do a good job in office. But at the end of the day, I know I'm not in charge, right? I have faith and, and, and to dust, I will return. Like I'm nothing cosmically insignificant, you know, except for, you know, my relationship with, with Jesus and God and, and, um, you know, my family, but, but we're, we're really nothing. And I think you have to have that grounding. You have to stay that humble AOC. She just, she won't, she doesn't understand that. I think, yeah, humans have a capacity to do good, but also a tremendous capacity to do evil. And we understand that. Conservatives yeah. understand that. And you yeah. got to keep that at check. Yeah. AOC thinks she's purely good, purely righteous. And we know where that ends. That ends in death camps every single time. Yeah. The humility, the lack of humility is stunning. And that faction of the Democrat Party is actually growing. It's unbelievable. It's so, growing, except I'm optimistic here. It's so crazy. It's like the greatest trick the, the woke progressive left ever pulled is convincing the American people that they represent more than, what, 5%? Of us or three yeah. or three. Nobody, nobody actually, nobody wants to defund the police. Nobody wants open borders. Nobody wants your eight year old to be lectured about how actually he's a girl. This is so insane. Yeah. And if we're just, and this is why the Elon thing is really important to bring it back to free speech. If we're allowed to just have free speech and mock these stupid ideas, yeah. then I think you get these emperor has no clothes moments. But if everyone's suppressed and silenced, uh, you're going to get canceled. Wells Fargo is going to take away your bank account if you speak out against this gender ideology. Um, then it can it can really metastasize, and I think we've seen that start to happen here. Did you see this uh, libs of TikTok yeah. account? Yeah, it's the funniest thing ever. So it was account that it was an account that was you know reposting is what the inter the uh, social media is really all about. Yeah, it's the Prell commercial. We'll tell two friends who tell two friends, and so on and so on. Right? It's this exponential growth thing, and it it basically did exactly what social media is supposed to do. It reposted people. And didn't doctor, didn't edit, it wasn't misleading, it was just here's, a mirror. Here's the video they put up, let me show you what they put up. Mm -hmm. And they've been censored for putting up what everyone's putting up. And it's bizarre to watch, you know, the folks in Silicon Valley, they're not dummies. There's bright people Unfortunately, great minds. They're, they're very clever. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you've dealt with them a lot more than I have, but I've dealt with them. 
and uh, they've just come up with this equation in their head that uh, this this uh, censoring equation that they think is in the long run good. It's unbelievable. I don't know how they arrive at it. I mean, Again, they're, they're, they're just, capitalists. It's well, only sort of, and you know, they they um they can get away with it until we sort of regulate them. I think until we or until you get heroes like Elon stepping in. Because of these networked monopolies, you know, yeah, it's like you can say, "Oh, go build your own Twitter, go build your own Facebook." That doesn't. It's really hard because the network effect. But even if you try, even if you're Parler or something, well, it turns out you can't build your own parallel internet. And if Google won't let you on the Play Store and Apple won't let you on the App Store, and then AWS is going to take away your your hosting if they say that you're promoting hate speech, it's really hard to have alternatives. And so Facebook, Twitter, Google, these are entrenched monopolies. Oh yeah, um, you can call it capitalism, but you know, maybe, maybe it's, maybe we have to do something about it. Maybe, maybe it's very different from a local bakery or a hair salon, right? Yeah. Especially when these companies are fusing with the government, right? Mm -hmm. Facebook, everyone's like, oh, Blake, Facebook's a private company. You couldn't possibly regulate it. I question the premise. I mean, Facebook at this point is not really a private company. They're working with Jen Psaki in the White House communications office. And oh, could you please take that and that and that post down because we don't want to spread misinformation. Um, but even if it's a private company, like Barry Goldwater knew this, right? Private concentration of power in enormous quantities can violate people's liberties just as much as government can sure especially when it fuses and so we got to pay attention and i think google um you know is probably responsible for swinging the presidential election oh for sure in 2020 i know yeah. facebook was by censoring the hunter biden laptop story yeah right and so we got to get these companies under control you know it's funny we uh there's an argument to be made about you know there's been a fight going on about the outcome of the election in 2020, okay? And I think you and I, if we get too vocal about it, we're going to be censored off every platform we talk about. So we got to be, you know, w they're successful in, in in tamping us a little bit. But I want to be heard. Um, I think they're trying to say there's always a little messiness to elections. And and therefore, there, there wasn't a cover-up and there wasn't a a conspiracy to change the outcome of the election. But the truth is we all saw the conspiracy. And, and so even if they can't put a finger on what happened with voting in Arizona, there's a lot of little leaks in the dike that all need to be shored up. And they can be, I think if we get, uh, Hey, uh, Bobby, what's our, what's our guy that we really like Fincham. I think if we get Fincham in, uh, in Arizona's, uh, he's hardcore. Oh, Absolutely. I, I think he'd be fantastic. Uh, Secretary of State, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, th I think it's, uh, we saw four years of colluding mm -hmm. on the election. And the colluding is a completely biased press that we all saw it happening. Everything they said was a lie, turns out to be true. Everything they said was true, turns out to be a lie. We saw it all unfold. We knew it had the stink of a lie when they were saying it. If you're kind of a uh, Socratic, you know, neutral, mm -hmm. what are the facts and what's the decision, right? We saw this all happen in real time and, and it had the stink of lying collusion. And now after the fact, as we're sitting with a man with dementia who can't handle the job, a staff that can't handle the job, we all know everything we were thinking all along. Is turn, we saw we saw them pull out right. all the stops. They yeah. hated President Trump. They hated the America First MAGA movement. They yeah. needed it gone. 
you had the media, you had the cooked polls, you had big tech, right? I think like weeks before anybody voted, this thing was was already, you know, they had set the narrative. And and I think in some quasi, you know, legal ways, but I think in plenty of illegal ways too. Yeah. And then you look at the election administration, like Zuckerberg spending $420 million. It's not like he just found candidates he liked and did the legal thing, which is donate to the candidates. You know, he could have donated to Joe Biden. Uh, no, he, he went straight to the backbone straight to the county recorders, straight to the neutral people, allegedly neutral, who are supposed to be counting votes. And that was just a giant left-wing get-out-the-vote operation. You look at the people who, um, and this is what the left does, they abuse the nonprofit system. Soros and the 501c4 dark money, right? Zuckerberg donated to these 501c3 nonprofits. And the people running those nonprofits were ex-Hillary Clinton people. They're ex-Obama people. This was obviously done for the purpose and effect of getting more Democrat votes and suppressing Republican votes. That seems very obvious. But if you say it out loud, you are an election conspiracy theorist, you know, and it's just like, right. people um, are done with that. You know, the the, uh, the thousands and thousands of unsigned ballots that were let in so that they could go to um, human arbitration or whatever, human decision-making, or, or well, what do they call it, correcting, or they have a name for them. Uh, uh, curing. Cure, yeah. Yeah, curing the ballots. Human curing of ballots. I mean, if you let... I wonder if the ballots that were cured went 50-50 Biden-Trump, you know, and it's just like, come on. I know, I know. We know. I know. We know what they're up to. And you add these vulnerabilities together, and it's like, I don't pretend to know exactly what happened. Yeah. Okay, I don't know exactly how many legal votes Biden and Trump each got in Arizona. And, and, it, and, it, know, and it's squishy. And it's I just know if you tell me this is the most perfect election of all time, you're spitting in my face and yeah. telling me it's raining. Yeah, bullshit. It's just like we're not that stupid. Right. And, and then, you know, uh, you know, my friends have called, you know, of course, everybody's like, man, what happened in Arizona? We thought, you know, your friends had to have called you from around the country, mm -hmm. your conservative friends. And uh, I just said, listen, I don't know, man. Uh, all I know is I got like a text message and 100 miles worth of cars lined up yeah. to Trump and eight people showed up to Joe Biden yeah. uh, at the airport. Yep. I, I, I don't know how that's even possible. And then the Democrats are all running around cheering, you know, with their hands up in the air like they won the Olympics. And I'm like, guys, something's wrong. It's something's rotten wrong. in Denmark. And they brag about it. There was a Time Magazine article that came out a few months after the election where they say they, they brag about having fortified it, right? They don't say steel. They say fortified to make sure that the right result was achieved for democracy to shore up our democracy. And every time the left talks about our democracy, right, it's a tell. It makes me sick, It yeah. just means their entrenched establishment oligarchy. And the other thing is when they say the right. The right. They're, they're, they've, they know they're right, so they're doing what is needed to be done to make sure the right candidate's in. That's right. Not who won. That's right. It's no, not it's, about the right it's candidate. It's about achieving the right result for you, democracy. If you listen to their vocabulary, they give away what they're up to, and yeah. you know it. All right, so listen, we've got some major hot button issues, and I have talked about them until I'm blue in the face, and I know you have to talk to them. So let's cover them quickly and be done with that and get back to the nature of who you are as a candidate and what you bring to the table. Because there is no Republican Senate candidate in, in Arizona who is for open borders, not one. All of you are for closed borders. Who's for open borders? Well, everyone says the same border rhetoric i believe all of us except for bernovich really i'm not going to say he wants open borders but like bernovich is the one candidate in this u.s senate race that actually has power to do something right now about the situation of the southern border he's the top law enforcement official in the state everybody who's coming here especially the drug traffickers and the coyotes they're committing state crimes too i don't see bernovich prosecuting them en masse i see bernovich going on fox news 
complaining about Joe Biden's dereliction of duty right. uh, every day until he's blue in the face. And look, Joe Biden deserves our, our scorn. He should be right. impeached for this, right? right? As a candidate, all I can do is complain about Joe Biden, tell people what I will do differently and deliver on that once I have power. But Brnovich has power right now and he's not doing anything on the southern border. So I'm not saying he likes open borders. I'm just saying he's a weak Republican, the kind that we should not elect. Because when he has power, and voters gave him that power by electing him in 2018, he doesn't use it. I see that everywhere. Um, it's funny. I've been asked to run for governor several times now, and I've kind of demurred because i got enough skeletons in my closet. I don't need my family beat up. Uh, but if I was going to be governor, <laughs> if I were, um, th that'd be great. Let me tell you something. I would, Ron DeSantis would be sitting on the sideline going, because, you know, the thing is, you don't have to be the governor of New York or Florida or California to make a big stink. That's right. Look at the governor of South Dakota. Mm -hmm. um, all you have to do is, there, there, there's a great voice in opposition to insanity. And when Washington's being insane, being one of the 50 head executives of the states, um, that you have a big voice and can affect change and make room for four or five other on the on the fence governors. And next thing you know, it's like that Alice's Restaurant song. Next thing you know, you got a movement. Yep. Um, so uh, on the border, uh, let's we'll talk border for a minute. What would you do different, or what do you advocate that sets you apart from the other? senatorial candidates running like i said we're, we're all going to agree that we need to finish the wall you know i think we need to triple or quadruple the border patrol force um one thing that sets me apart is I actually understand technology unlike mm -hmm. i think everybody else in the race and most people in congress uh, and so i think we need technology to play a role you got to map every inch of the border we got eyes and ears on every inch whether it's drones whether it's thermal imaging cameras, I want to use technology to drive down illegal crossings to zero. Um, but again, I think most people are, are saying the same thing. We want a tight border. I do hear from some competitors, they say like, well, you know, we can't really do much, you know, until 2025 or actually even worse. They say like on day one, I'm going to, you know, push a bill and pass it that says we're going to secure the border. And it's like, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. Because even if we have the House and the Senate, Joe Biden's not going to sign that bill. Right. And we can't really afford two more years of, you know, four million people just coming here. The Dems, right. of course, eventually intend to amnesty all these people and make them Democrat voters. So the question is, what do you do in January 2023? Like when I'm sworn in, unfortunately, Biden's still going to be in the White House or right. Harris or whatever. And I think... Um, I think I'm the only one that speaks about it at this level, but like what we need to do is play hardball. You know how the Dems are always threatening to shut the government down. If you don't vote for this, Republicans, you know, we're yeah. going to force a shutdown and blame it on you. And Republicans always cave. Well, I think we need to play hardball and, and, and take a page from their playbook. And it's like Biden needs to fund his Department of Homeland Security every year, either in a, in a you know, separate bill or in a giant omnibus bill. And I, will, I won't vote for funding DHS unless there is language in that bill that specifically guarantees that we're going to restart construction on the border wall. And it's just, sorry, Mr. President, like not doing it. And I'll whip the votes and I'll shine the flashlight on any Republican that won't join me in that. Because if you're funding Biden's DHS without restarting the border wall, you're complicit in this open borders invasion. You know, it's one of the things that drives me crazy about our country. Imagine, and I, I talked to you know, uh, people that are, you know, either centrist, sometimes a little left of center, and uh, they'll have some critique that's uh, mostly it's kind of ignorant and wrongheaded, but I don't want to just say, God, you're fucking stupid. I would go, 
I try to engage. It's and, very diplomatic uh, of you. I, and I want to move the needle because yeah. I want them to vote. Yeah, yeah, I sure. want them to vote smart. And I say, well, well, listen, imagine your Italian restaurant that I'm eating at right now, and you're a Democrat. <laughs> imagine if all of a sudden the government came along and said your licenses are pulled and you have to shut down. And they kind of look at me like, what do you mean? I'm like, what if they just came and closed you down? They go, well, you know, that, you know, that would be wrong. And I go, well, that's what just happened to the Keystone Pipeline. They've mm -hmm. had a, they've had licensing and permits been approved. It's done. They put billions of dollars into it. I mean, it it is a vital national interest. And they, how does the government come along? It's like a bunch of gangsters. Mm -hmm. Imagine you and I whoop up, I don't know, a quarter of a trillion dollars to put a pipeline halfway across the wealthiest nation on planet Earth, and we get all the work done, and a new administration comes in and stops it. Mm-hmm. That's why the damage persists. Like, you know, say we President Trump runs again. I think he wins. He crushes it. If he chooses not to run, okay, maybe we get Ron DeSantis in. Uh, but now it's 2025. We have a strong Republican president and they can restart the Keystone. But the damage is done, right? Because you're thinking like an entrepreneur here. Who's going to want to deploy all that capital and spend right. 10, 10 years building the next infrastructure-heavy project just because someday we might get a, a communist Democrat back in charge and they'll just wipe it out, right? And so it just nukes capital investment and long-term planning. It, disincentivize, it, it disincentivizes big baller moves that That's are right. good for the world. And, uh, you know, I talk to people, uh, you, you know, when you talk to lefties, they... You, you know, I get the sense talking to lefties, they're well-intentioned, um, they're bright a lot. Of, a lot of times they're well-intentioned and bright, and a lot of times they're educated. And they just... Over-educated. Yeah, but they just don't understand how things are connected together. You know, they talk about the trees and the forest all being connected and talking to each other through the root systems and yeah. through the mycelium of the, of the fungi and blah, 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 blah. But they don't understand how oil is connected to their cheeseburger. That's right. And every job in their town, it just, it's kind of mind blowing to me. Oil is also connected to the freedom of people in the third world because where the price is right, our petrochemical despots are hampered and freedom loving folks like us who want to do business with you wherever you are, are out doing business with you. Right. Instead of fighting stupid wars. Biden's energy policy, like all of his other policies, is America last. Yeah. He'd rather beg Saudi Arabia, who doesn't pick up the phone anymore. He'd rather beg Venezuela, beg Russia for oil, instead of just tap into what God gave us here in this country. Modern leftism is this anti-humanist, anti-success, yes. anti-capital. Uh, they don't understand economics. It's this small-minded, turn-the-clock-back silliness. I think it's driven by envy and resentment. Right. Yeah. And again, you spoke earlier about how um, it's easy to fall into that when you when you don't have faith. Actually, I mean, one of the commandments, right? Don't covet. Right. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor. Yeah. And when when you don't realize that, when you don't internalize that um, humans have this natural tendency to envy and covet and jealousy and resentment, and you don't keep that in check, it can you get this you. politics. You of, get a pathology out of it. Yeah, it's a pathology, and that's what modern progressivism has metastasized into. It's yeah. redistributive. It's oh, if you've had you had the successful company, Obama said it right, Greg. You didn't build that. You didn't build that. You took it from everybody. You else. You took it from everybody else. Yeah. And it's like no, you're, I'm pretty sure I built it, but yeah. you know, yeah, bizarre. I guess not because the government's taking it away from me. Okay, so let's talk. Um, so, so uh, as far as you, you have a bit of a nuclear approach to the border, you're like, hey, if we're going to destroy the country. We got bigger problems than worrying about shutting down the government. Shut it down. Shut it down. And then paradoxically, I think it doesn't shut down. Like if you're willing to play hardball, he'll have to do it. No, it right? won't. It won't shut down because they're cowards. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And this is why I blame Mark Kelly so much, actually. He's got power as that one senator. Yeah. He could call Biden. Biden would take that call. And it's Mr. President, I won't vote for Katanji Brown Jackson, which of course Mark Kelly did. I won't vote for another nominee. I won't vote for anything that you need until you get the southern border like contained because my people over here in Arizona are getting killed. If he said that, Biden would have no choice but to comply. And well, that's, he'd be the most powerful guy in the country. He would be. Just for a moment. Just for a moment. Imagine and having would, that much power to do good and not using it. And not it. using it. Unbelievable. And so that's why I think Kelly is just as complicit as Biden in causing this border crisis. Right. Because he had a chance to pull the lever. He had a chance to pull the lever. Yeah. And he doesn't. And so that means he doesn't care. And that means three, four million people are coming here. The fentanyl that crosses the border every month is enough to kill every American twice over. Um, people are getting raped, murdered, and, and it just, it's the slow flood of people that just ruins the country. I think the left, they want to change the demographics of this country and the amnesty, all these people. Yeah. Talk to me about crime now. Um, what do you do as a, a junior incoming Senator? One thing, I mean, first of all, support the police in every single way. Like defund the police is literally the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my right, life. Right? right. And, and it's, it's crazy. And we see the effects, right? Um, I think, you know. Maybe Tucson and Phoenix PD haven't uh, been fully defunded as dramatically as some of the idiots in Minneapolis, you know, who actually just defunded the police. But but all the police I talk to tell me they feel undersupported, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think there's fewer cops walking in Phoenix and in Tucson now sure, sure. than four or five years ago. Sure. Um, and the populations have only gone up. These police are being attacked, right? So all of that is just super crazy. One thing I really want to do is investigate George Soros and the dark money operation. Like, how is he funding all these left-wing DAs? Because that's this really sinister thing. It's like, why, why is this wealthy guy, why are these wealthy Democrats so obsessed with getting in left-wing DAs? I've been hearing about him for 20 years. He's this really bad guy. And most people, he's, he's got this layer of varnish on him where, like, apparently, if you criticize him, you're anti-Semitic. That's what people, you know, he's got that defense mechanism. And that's stupid. Right. It's like, I love Israel. I love Jewish people. I don't like George Soros. Right. The fact that he happens to be like, who cares? He's Unrelated. got bad ideas. Unrelated. Unrelated. Yeah. He's funding left-wing DAs that get in office and don't want to arrest anybody. It's this anti-law and order agenda. Yeah. And we know that when you tolerate low-level crime, it just bubbles up. It emboldens criminals. I was. Uh, I listened to a report on uh, traffic deaths during COVID. Have you heard this about no. how traffic deaths, you would think ostensibly since we shut the whole country down and we didn't all commute to work quite as much as we used to, Should all of drop. that would go down. And it did. Everywhere except the African-American community, deaths went up dramatically. Bizarre. Bizarre. And so uh, uh, Pete Bootygug, uh, Bootygag, he thinks that it's because roads are, roads are laid in a racist way yep. in inner cities. And what actually happened was nationally, there's been a directive to stop pulling over black people, stop engaging in minor traffic things that can potentially blow black on blow back on camera, just leave black people alone. <laughs> so we, there's a, an example, and so black uh, African American fatalities have gone through the roof during the COVID time while people have been driving less because all of us humans need to have, you know. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, accountability. And, and, and if left to our own devices, we drive too fast or a little reckless. I mean, <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So they've killed a bunch of people under the guise of, I don't know, some sort of race equality. Right. It's bizarre. And, and you know, I think some of them are stupid. 
And so it's like well-intentioned policy, but nope, actually, if you're stupid, it turns out to hurt people. Yeah. But a lot of them aren't stupid. A lot of them are clever. They know this. And this is why I think Democrats actually, they use minorities. They want to keep minorities yeah. down. They want to put them in their place. Yeah. Reliable Democrat voters just blame the evil racist Republicans. And I think that dynamic is is not working. It's fracturing. And I think this is why, without pandering, Republicans have this opportunity, right? Look at how Trump did with black people. Look at how Trump did. He, Trump 2020 outperformed Trump 2016 with Hispanics. Because right. if you run on the issues, it's like, hi, we're not going to defund the police. We're going to support the police. Right. We want your schools to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic, not like, you know, weird sex stuff to kindergartners. It, most people like this common sense agenda, and most people hate the left-wing woke stuff because it doesn't work. Yeah, and it's funny when you poll even liberals, if you poll them away from left-right left polarity mm -hmm. and party affiliation, they poll very centrist, yep. and, they, and they poll conservative on... Uh, issues of equality. Mm -hmm. They don't poll liberal. Yeah, what is this equity stuff? Right? Remember when United Airlines was like, oh, by 2025 or whatever, we're going to have half the pilots are going to be like black or women. And everyone's like, no, no, thank you. Don't, you know, don't want that. Look, we don't care if all the pilots are black, if they're the best pilots. Right. Right. But don't do your diversity and equity and inclusion, your affirmative action stuff to get people who are possibly not the best people for the job, right? If you're focused, and this is why it was so crazy that Joe Biden came out and said, I'm only going to nominate a black woman for the Supreme Court slot. Right. It's almost unfair to like Katanji Brown Jackson, right? They should have at least pretended that she got the job because she was the most qualified. And look, she's qualified in some traditional sense, right? She went to Harvard and blah, 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 blah. She turns out she's like a you know, liberal jurist that just makes up the law and has no fidelity to the Constitution, and she has a penchant for protecting and, pedophiles, so and, she's bad. And a really, and a very nice woman with a lovely family. I mean, I mean, you know, the thing about her, she, her package was good. Yeah. She's a nice package, and she was the right color, and all they did is Uncle Tom her ass. That's right. I can't believe, I mean, I just can't believe, and most people did not like that. Like, we're only, if you're a man or if you're a woman with a different skin color, like, we're not going to consider you. That's not the way things are supposed to work No, here in America, right? And, like, my favorite justice is Thomas, Clarence Thomas. Like, God bless him. He's, you know. Yeah, he's one of my but they, too. But then, but they attack quiet, him. Quiet and, and pushing the button in the background. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But then they attack him, right? They say right. he's not even black. He's, and right. it's just disgusting. I think, man, race relations in this country have just gotten so much worse yeah. since Obama, especially Obama's second term which is when I think they just put the pedal to the metal. Right, because he was is, free then. Yep, and this is a, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. And this is the democratic strategy. It's just try to try to exploit and foment all of these divisions. So as a, as a junior senator from Arizona, you're going to um, start a movement, write a bill, push in direction of accountability to George Soros. Why is this foreign national with all this money meddling in our campaigns? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, have you looked much at McCain-Feingold and uh, campaign finance, the reforms that went down, and how it actually did the exact opposite yep. of what it was intended to do? Yep. And I'm not an expert on this stuff, and it's hard to know exactly what to do about money and politics, although I can tell you as a candidate, I'm very familiar with the rules right now because yeah. you know I know that I'm a target. Right. Biden's DOJ would love to find a foot fault on something and it'll all of a sudden take me out. Right. And so I'm very lawyered up, and we've play by all the rules, but the rules are arcane. They make no sense. They benefit. Um, I think they, they basically benefit the left who explain, you know, like I said, the left uses all these nonprofit organizations and they use it for, I think, arguably illegal 
campaign contributions and all that. Right. But they, you know, they're not going to get prosecuted by Biden's IRS. And then when we take power again, by default, Republicans will be so weak that they won't do anything. And so it just swims ever left. But um, yeah, I think campaign finance law needs sort of radical reform. Radical. Yeah. It's great. And I can't tell you how many people, so in my election, I think the max someone can donate per election is $2,900. Right. I can't tell you how many people I call, you know, because it's a big part of campaigning. If you're not like just a self-funder, it's calling people and asking for money. And I call a lot of people <clears throat> and they say like, Blake, we'd love to support you, but man, does this become public? And yeah, it becomes public. Like you can go look up and and not just like who donated and what amount, but like who their employer is. And so that's crazy. What the left does is they just go, they go to, you know, Medford and they'd say like, well, here are all the employees that are donating to these causes. And they go and they try to pressure the CEO of the company to fire them. That would never happen with your company, for instance, but like. Oh, I know it happens though. It happens. And that's really crazy. And why, if someone gives a hundred bucks to a political candidate, why are we exposing their name and their um, their hometown and their employer to the public. That's really crazy. Maybe if you cut a million dollar check, people should know that. It's for hit lists. It's for hit lists. And AOC said this, one of the first things she said after Joe Biden was inaugurated is we need to de-Trumpify this country. And she right. said, we're making lists. She said, we're making lists. Right. Which is, uh, you know, Which that's like crystal knock. That's like yeah. crystal knock. That's know? right. No, it's yeah. it's absolutely wild. So I definitely think small dollar donations should be, obviously like the FEC should know who it is to make sure that they're like a, a U.S. You know, national. I think anything, anything, but it should be private. anything under $5,000 should be private. It should be private. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's talk about, so we talked about the border. We've talked about um, uh, crime. Uh, I know critical race theory is a really big thing going on right now. And it's a, you know, it's a way for the press that works in in, in 10 second increments. It's a really loaded phrase. Yep. And so for our folks who are watching this, critical race theory is the undermining of a traditional, what we would call a traditional liberal arts education, which it's been for, you know, 140 years anyways. It's the undermining of that. Uh, by organized people informed through union membership and meetings to change the sway and the thinking of our children towards a Marxist point of view. And they're using critical race theory right now. They've been doing it for a long time, but they're using critical race theory right now because when you ride under the canvas of we're doing it for race equality, no nobody can critique you or you can yell racist at them. Mm -hmm. So they've hijacked race equality, which is something I believe you and I and everybody who would get pointed at as beings, you know, some white heterosexual. I think we all want enfranchisement and race equality. Absolutely. Absolutely. Equality, not equity. Right. And uh, I, I think by any, by any other name, they've been doing it for generations. Now they're just flying under the black flag of critical race theory, um, which is all made up reactionary Marxist con construction. It's a Marxist construction to attack us under the guise of racism. Um, would okay, it bad. <laughs> It's bad, but you know, but every candidate says it's bad. Every candidate sees the polling and it's this bugaboo, you know, but, but it actually does exist. And again, this is what I think sets me apart. I'm talking about this boldly and in much more substance than anyone else. 
That's um, why I'm asking. I, I went. I on... want the. I look at. It, I'm caging it because yeah. I get these really simple answers about it, and I go, "What are you going to do as a senator against critical? We're going to get critical race theory out of our schools. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, good luck, man. You don't even know what it is. You couldn't. They couldn't define it like one tenth as articulately as you just did. And um, I think that's a problem. Like, I really do feel like I've got a, a finger on the pulse here of what's going wrong. Like, I understand this problem. I see where the culture's going. And I think I know how to fight it. I went on Tucker Carlson very early in my campaign. Uh, this was probably like September of last year. And I said, critical race theory is anti-white racism. And to me, this is obvious. And I think it's actually obvious to the viewer. It's obvious to the left wingers who, who um, you know, hear that and they hear nails on chalkboard because they hate it. But that's why it's powerful. It's because it's obvious. Most candidates say critical race theory is bad. Braver candidates say critical race theory is racist. But I think you got to be quite bold, actually, to come out and say what we all know, which is critical race theory is anti-white racism. This is obvious if you just look at the uh, curriculum, right? You look at some of these books that they're teaching kids and they're separating kids in classroom based on their race. And, oh, you're bad because you're, you're light skinned and you're an oppressed victim because you're dark skinned. It's ludicrous. And if it's racist, then it's racist against somebody. So this is just obvious. And I always clarify, like, that's bad for white kids. Obviously, it's also almost as obviously bad for black kids. It's bad for Latino kids, bad for Asian kids to, to have to listen to that crap, right? Because no child should be taught to identify with each other, primarily in racial terms. It's just not what I learned. I went to public school and elementary school in Tucson in like 1992, you know, I was in kindergarten and we were learning about MLK and the content of your character, not the color of your skin, right? But the only people that quote MLK anymore are Republicans. The left has just moved so far left and it's this neo-racist garbage. And I'm sorry, but most of it has the net effect of being anti-white. And that's the way the left likes it. Yeah. What do you do as a senator? How do you go after it? Well, I think most education should be decentralized, right? I want to get rid of the Department of Education. I think it's unconstitutional. I think every metric by which you can measure the quality of education has gotten worse since 1979. So we yeah. should get rid of the department. It's going to take 60 votes to do that. We're not going to have that right away. So what about a bill in the meantime that just says, and I think Tom Cotton ran this bill, and I would you know co-sponsor it or join it, uh, any institution that receives federal funds won't receive federal funds if they're going to teach critical race theory. Like you can absolutely condition that money. So here's the problem. And, and let it. me just be a little bit. So you get Greg after Greg has interviewed a bunch of candidates. <laughs> so you're one of the last Senate candidates that I've got in the, in, in the studio. Um, everybody says all of this, but the, the problem is the teachers just sit there. Okay. Well, we can't teach critical race theory anymore, but, and they still continue to teach it. They, they subvert. Sir, it's now it's not critical race theory. Now it's diversity, equity, and inclusion, whatever. Right. right? Yes. Um, well, I think some of this frankly does have to be taken at the state level, you know, and, and, and the mama bears are awake. And I think we're going to see a red wave in the school boards. And this is the thing when you have local control over your school, it's just much, much less likely to get out of hand. So can I make think, a, can I make a suggestion? Yeah, please. So if, if if you make it through this, you know, this is a, I don't know, it's a gauntlet. You're running a gauntlet right now to see if you get across the finish line. Yep. What happens is people go to Washington and they disappear. And even if they come back, they come back for big things because they're a big shot now. If I became a U.S. Senator tomorrow, I would, out of every 10 days I spent in Arizona, I would spend one or two of them meeting with public schools. I think we fight whack-a-mole as Republicans mm -hmm. and as conservatives yep. after the battle's been lost because 
we allow them to indoctrinate for the first 18 to 22 years right. and we don't get involved because most of us if we're business guys I don't want to go down and talk to all the house frows down at the freaking PTA. I'd rather swallow a goddamn bullet. I want to drink some good scotch with a couple of my buddies and go play some golf maybe or go shooting. But if we go back there and bring the gravitas of the seat and the concern, that's right. You can you could steer in Paradise Valley and Scottsdale where there's a lot of leftism. You could steer it in a big way. Yep. I think anybody who runs for Senate, if they want to have an effect on some of these really big issues, yep. um, I think staying involved in some of these local politics is a gigantic lever. I think that is so right. I mean, I think it's like borderline genius idea, frankly, because most people don't do that. I know a lot of the job as a senator is um, just voting the right way on what happens to cross your desk, right? Block the bad stuff, vote for the good stuff, try to make you know the, the neutral stuff better. Um, it's about introducing the right legislation. But again, you can't you can't solve some of this stuff with a bill. You know, right. you can you can condition federal funds, and that's what I mentioned. But you can't just push a, a button and solve the bill and, and end critical race theory. This is a cultural problem, and it's why I'm talking so much about cultural issues on the campaign. I think yeah. we're in a culture war. Yeah, and it makes a lot of Republicans uncomfortable. So many Republicans, they just want to secure the border, and yeah, you should do that. They just want low taxes. Yeah, you should do that. We should be the party of low taxes. I hate taxes, but if we're only the party of low taxes. We lose. Pretty soon you won't even have low taxes. The left just takes over and they own the whole culture. They own every single cultural institution at this point. And so I will use the cultural power of my Senate seat, uh, whether it's going and talking to, to you know PTA meetings in Arizona, whether it's going on Tucker Carlson or Joe Rogan and talking about some of these difficult issues. It sounds crazy, but I think, you know, one of the frustrating things as I talk to senators, um, one of the things I find, I think they're all quietly frustrated by what they can get done. And imagine if you started a movement within the hundred of these folks, this ruling group. Uh, imagine if they're like, man, you're in the news all the time, Blake. You're, you know, you're, why are you going to these PTA meetings? And you say, you know, being a Senate is not just reaching out to Washington to push a button, yes or no. Mm -hmm. It's also keeping the fingers back into what the people of Arizona are doing. And it makes you an authority when you get to the big stuff in Washington, because they're not doing that work. You know, the thing, uh, you know, I'm looking at the gubernatorial race right now, okay? Uh, Carrie's doing a great job. Um, I think she, uh, she, I think she says some stuff that's off the map a little bit on some areas. Fine, that's okay. She's a firebrand and has some bombast to her. Um, but she's outworking everybody. Like, everywhere you go, she's there. I just go to random events and she's there. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's outworking everybody. And I think one of the most important things to bring to the Senate is work ethic. Mm -hmm. I see a lack of work, work ethic in government because I think, you know, you hear somebody who is in the Senate for eight years or, or, or you're 12 years and they did two pieces of legislation. Mm -hmm. you, you 12 years of your life, that's your, that's your thing? There's no fire. Again, they're just trying to have a conventional good political career and stay in the lines. And I just think, you know, I think what we're looking for, and this is what I want to talk to you about. I have you here. That's great. You run for Senate. We talk about that. You talk about your, what you will bring to the table different. But I think we need ballers. And you don't need money to be a baller. You need to be right and willing. Mm-hmm. It helps to have money. Shit. Sure. <laughs> money helps enough, just about everything. Enough to compete. But. You know, we were talking about wealthy guys showing up and not being impervious to one of the two great sins of Washington, right? 
uh, you were saying, you know, it's women and, and women and money. Well, if you show up with money and you're happy with your woman, you're pretty insulated from the two big evils of the town. It's okay to show up not with money mm-hmm. and leave with no money. It's mm-hmm. okay. And you can go back and, and then you're just like you were before. That's great. And we'd have more of that if we had term limits, which we need. Term limits spooked me a little tiny bit because we end up... Um, we end up always having a bunch of novices. So it's a great way to basically, I think, hobble everyone. Well, there's probably a golden mean. Shouldn't, right. have, a, shouldn't have a one-term limit. That seems bad. But maybe you shouldn't be younger than me, like Joe Biden was when he was elected to the Senate, and then he stayed in the Senate for like 50 years, and now he looks like he does today, right? That's that's probably too long. 30 or 40 years in the Senate, 30 or 40 years in the House, way too long. But I know so many talented business people who would get in. They'd go in and, and serve six years in the House and get out if they could get something done. But the seniority, right, the way it works right now is because uh, there are no term limits. You have to be in the House for like 20 years before you can amass any meaningful power. And so it just disincentivizes all these talented people who are like, I don't need this shit, you know? Um, you're, you're, so, see, you're seeing this cross-intersection uh, uh, uh little alliances come together like the navy seal guys that are all running yes. you're seeing these little pods and as these guys join forces they can become powerful yep um in a way that nobody anticipated when they came up with the strict hierarchical structure of uh tenure yep and i think you know i i wish all the um i wish everybody good health you know but in in some sense like Pelosi, Schumer, McConnell, they're not going to be in charge. They're, you know, it's just they're they're not going to have power in 10 years, period. And so I think when when you have Gen X and millennials in power and not the boomers anymore, um, we're not going to make the same mistakes. This is why I think term limits is unlikely to pass in the next year or two. But in the next 10 years, I'm pretty sure the electorate's going to demand term limits and you're going to have a Congress that's going to be willing to vote for term limits because right now no one wants to vote themselves out of a job. It'll be interesting to see if that happens. Um how did you get out of Stanford a conservative, or did you evolve after Stanford? Nope, I was pretty pretty conservative, pretty right-wing in Stanford. I was probably more libertarian than mm-hmm. I am now, um, but I was always militantly anti-progressive. You know, I grew up, my, I mean, my parents were staunch Reagan Republicans. My dad was in the Air Force and worked at the Pentagon in the 80s, and, um, and so I grew up reading Ayn Rand, you know, and Milton Friedman in middle school and okay. Federalist Papers, Anti-Federalist yeah, Papers, okay. right, in high school. And in college, I went down more of the Austrian economics, you know, free market capitalist economics stuff, which I think um, in many respects is, is too libertarian. Like there's no s- such thing as free trade with China, right? And President right. Trump corrected a lot of my thinking on that. But, but uh, yeah, I saw progressivism in Tucson. Right, I saw it at Stanford, Stanford Law School. They're not exactly conservative institutions. And I worked in the belly of the beast in Silicon Valley, but I knew who I was, and I knew, um, I just knew individual rights are important. The individual is important. I think we have a genius and divinely inspired constitutional design here. Mm-hmm. And progressivism always seemed like bad news to me. And I, I, I lived with these kids. I saw it. Like they're, they're insane. I think they're totalitarians in training, all of them. And so. I was just never, never tempted, but I also like to say I was forged in the fire. Like, I understand this stuff. Yeah. I, you know, I went to school in Massachusetts and Pennsylvania and Connecticut. So, I mean, Oof. I have been in, in the, in the, yeah. How'd you, of, how'd you come out? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I joined the Marine Corps and mm-hmm. got my head conked. That'll do it. So, um, you tell me what's the, give, give us a little bit of your status right now, currently in the race, because there's a few people in the race. A few people in the race. I think we have three viable, contenders at this point yep. the other two guys um are, are great guys i just don't think they've gotten out of the gate um haven't been able to raise money or get much traction so the, like it's going to come down to myself 
Attorney General Mark Burnovich or Jim Lehman. And Attorney General Burnovich is viable because he's the Attorney General. Everybody knows who he is. So he starts, I think he started at like 40 in the polls. Now he's down to the low 20s. So he's bleeding support. Well, I think he's got major problems because we haven't major seen problems. the needle move on uh, prosecutions and what happened during he, the election. He's talking out of both sides of his mouth and he's sideways with President Trump. President Trump will endorse against Burnovich, I'm pretty sure. And Burnovich has no money. He can't raise money. He's either lazy and he is lazy or people just don't like him. And I think increasingly people don't like him. Um, so actually, it's going to come down to me and Jim Lehman, who are two business guys. We're mm -hmm. both conservatives, both outsiders to the political establishment. For sure. And I think you want a, a, a really conservative outsider, right? And he's, um, I won't say pretending, that's too strong of a word, frankly, but he's running some America First campaign, and, and so am I. But I think mine is more substantive. Uh, and I think, you know, he's a challenge mainly because he's really rich. He's put 13 million of his own money in the race. He promises to spend up to 30. We'll see if he actually does, but that buys a lot of TV commercials. Mm -hmm. And one frustrating thing about running for office, and everybody knows this, I'm not saying anything new, but um, most people hear about candidates only on television. You know, I need 300,000 people to vote for me in August, but I can only meet 15 or 20,000 people on the campaign trail. And when I meet people, when they hear messaging, and my data shows this, when they hear messaging from me, Burnovich and Lehman, they choose me by kind of an overwhelming majority. So if I can raise the resources, to literally just spread the message, then I will win. Um, but, you know, Jim makes, I think the one with the guns shooting Democrats or shooting at Democrats is bad, but like his border ads are like pretty good, you know, and he's tough on the border. And if he can blanket Arizona with that message and I can't get my message out, well, that's that. So that's but if it. I can compete, if I can raise enough money to get my message out, then I will win because I think I am the strongest candidate in the race. So you've got to pierce through a media buy that he's able to do that you can't quite do. I can't um, quite do, although, you know, I'll have a, I'll have two or three million, maybe four million to spend on TV, and I have some outside super PACs helping. And so I think it'll be more competitive than uh, than many people think. I think Lehman probably right now, I mean, he's really seeing these fake polls too, which I hate. I just... Hate it. Well, well, how about your? You have a really strong tech background, and uh, are are you able to leverage that vehicle and, and knowledge? Absolutely, I think. Than he can? Yeah, we'll spend. I mean, he's he spent four million bucks last quarter, you know, and I spent like four or five hundred thousand bucks last quarter. So in theory, he should be running away with it, but in practice, he's just a few points up in the polls. Um, and look, I'm I'm optimistic that I'll earn a President Trump endorsement because I think I am the true MAGA America First candidate in the race. I think I know what time it is, and I think I can speak to these issues. If you just listen to those other guys talk for three or four minutes and you listen to me talk, I think it's clear that I'm a cut above, frankly. I think it's clear that you want me in the Senate to figure out what to do about big banks and ESG scores and and you know Chinese-style social credit systems creeping to America. I know these, these, these threats, and I think I'm who you want in there. Um, so I'm very confident, like if I get a Trump endorsement, if I'm fortunate enough to do that, and if I can raise the resources to, to compete hard here in the last three months of the race, I think I will be our nominee this fall. And then I think I'll beat Mark Kelly by four or five points. I don't think it'll be close. Okay. Um, I want to, before we let you go, I want to ask you about a couple other fronts. Um, what do you think, you know, what do you think is the most impending, imposing, big threat coming on the American horizon that we have to deal with? Clearly our border is a major issue. Clearly crime and, you know, this internal the storm and drong we've got going on, but yeah. what do you see coming on the horizon that you think is going to be uh, the biggest challenge we need to address? It's such a hard question to answer because there are so many candidate answers. There's like 10 existential issues that face this country, and we have to not fail on any of them. But let me, there's one, one foreign and one domestic, China. 
Absolutely. China is the geopolitical rival. That's they have why, been for decades. That's why I was asking. And the Uniparty has ignored... I mean, how dumb was it? We've, we've sold out to them. We've sold out to them they, for the past 30 years. In the 80s, maybe it made sense to be somewhat pro-China vis-a-vis the Soviet threat, right? A, a mildly strengthening China was good because we had to defeat Soviet communism. Okay, did that. Reagan got that done. Now it's 1992 and, um, you know, the, the Republicans and the Democrats. This is George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton. It was just mindless free trade with China. Right. They'll certainly liberalize and become a Western liberal democracy if we help them industrialize, right? Oops. Naivete. By the 2000s with George W. Bush, that same, yeah, I think it was naivete in the 90s. By 2000s with Bush, it was negligent because you started to have evidence that like, hey, this wasn't working. And then Obama and, and Biden just put the pedal to the metal. And I think as late as 2014, Biden was like, oh, China, come on, man. Right. You right. know, and it's like, nope. And President Trump, that's why it was so powerful. Remember he said, I'm not afraid of a little competition. Oh, you remember that? Remember yes. that speech? Yeah. I was like, okay, hold on a second. You know what's funny is, as business owners, we sit back and like I know a lot of my products are knocked off with my brand and my name on them. They're not putting my brand and my name on stuff that doesn't even look like my stuff selling it because I guess our brand is positioned well enough. Uh, it was really stopping under Trump, and then it started up again. That's within within months. He had, you know, the Chinese are able to make a knockoff of my knife clearly with subpar material. Uh, you know, blah, 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 complaints. But form factor, they were making a knife that was, you know, it looked like a knockoff. It was a, if you didn't know any better, you'd yep. think it was one of my knives. They were able to make that, box it, and ship it here. Total combined shipping, packaging, and product for a number smaller than it cost me to ship a knife to Asia. Wow. It's crazy. Steel, screws, clip, blade, heat treat. Milling, assembly, fitment, sharpening, coatings. They were to do all Insurance, of that. Insurance, regulatory, yeah. Might. And ship it. It's crazy. And package it for less than it cost me to ship. And uh, a, lot of that, a lot of that stopped during the Trump administration. Yep. People wonder, how is China stealing everything? And the reason why is the people we've left in charge have been bought. So they're not enforcing you. They could stop all of this stuff instantaneously. Mm -hmm. All you'd have to do is be President Trump and say to the CBP, "Hey, pump the brakes. Anything that is of questionable knockoff or uh, intellectual property nature at the ports, just drag your feet for a couple of months." Mm -hmm. It's because we got seriously because we got to inspect it. It puts that economic downward pressure on making That's right. more of it. And right? we needed the we needed the the tariff in 2018. Trump's tariff, right? Jim yeah. Lehman in this race um, lobbied against it because he knew it would hurt his solar business. And fair enough, you got to protect your business. But sorry, that was anti-America first, right? Uh, China is a big threat. They're not a friendly trading partner. Now, They've been a threat let's back decades. up. You just uh, threw a brick at Lehman, and I want to make sure we're accurate and people hear it. So I know about 5% of his solar panel business was be still being made in Asia and China. Depends how you measure, but... We don't need to get into it. Okay, so that number could be off is what you're saying. Most of the China, yeah, well, he he, he had a construction company. Mm -hmm. And so most Chinese, uh, the chi Chinese produces the panels, right? Most solar panels are made in China. And so it just depends how you measure. Are you measuring the solar panels or are you measuring something else when you say you have a construction engineering firm? He did business with China and then denies it, basically. Okay. And, uh, uh, I mean... Are you interpolating that, or do you have it on good authority? Nope. He lobbied against the Trump administration's tariffs in 2018. Okay. Which, again, is something like, we, you know, nobody's got a perfect record. Right. Um, but I, I don't... That's, fair that's fair not, enough. That's not getting out there. And to okay. me, it makes me question whether he's really on board with uh, 
with the America First agenda. You know, it's it's funny. People are on board until it's against their self interest, and then I always scratch my head about it. It's funny how that works. Yeah. But, okay. All but right. Leaving well, leaving that aside, you yeah. know, stipulate he's an America First patriot. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'll make the case why I'm the better candidate. But I think at least he's saying the right things now. Yeah. And at to, least to, we can all agree that China is a decades long generational threat. Absolutely. And we'll be fighting. We're fighting a cold war with China right now. Absolutely. So we're we're uh, and, and you know we're fighting a digital war. Like there's a real cyber war going the on. Industrial espionage, the cyber war. They're launching new cyber attacks every week. And most people don't see it, right? It's so, subterranean, but it's there and it's, it's dangerous. It, it's funny. I had a guy working for me whose last job was in cybersecurity and he came and worked for me for about six months. Really nice uh, young man. And uh, he had set up a way to look at my website on the back end to see. He had set up some security parameters for me to watch. And in real time, I would say, what's going on? He'd be like, ah, 120,000 hits this hour out of China. And I'd go, what? Crazy. And he'd say, yeah, 120,000 hits trying to hack into our website. What are they trying to hack in for? He goes, it doesn't matter. He goes, customer lists, uh, you know, they're, they're going after everything. They're, they want drawings. They want perspectives. They want everything. They want to know what you say. And then uh, when we blocked all the Chinese ones, they shifted almost instantly out of Pakistan. And then they shifted to Turkey. Interesting. And then, they, sh you know, we would kind of block each area. And you could see them in real time. I mean, it was almost like watching a football game. You're like, oh my God, what's going on right now? Yeah. And you see the numbers at 120,000 per hour, and they could tell you where the server is that the attack's coming from. So pretty bizarre. Pretty bizarre, but they're also capable, you know, and, and they're getting ever more capable. And I'm just some little dinky-ass knife company out in the middle of the desert. It's not like I'm Morton Thiokol. What's going on with them? Like, you know, there's real stuff. There's real, you know, there's life and and, and, and country at, at stake yep. digitally. And especially if China feels ever more emboldened because they see what's happening in the White House. Yeah. Right? They saw what happened in Afghanistan. They see what's happening in Ukraine. They know Biden is just weak. And so now I think they, you know, the, the risk is they move on Taiwan. Talk to me a little bit about, uh, so China is a, uh, a, you know, really it's kind of an existential threat for the United States. And yes. We have to wake up. And, and you know, super fixable problem. I think it's super fixable if it could just get everybody on Get everybody on board, but, but again, it's it's. I think the Democrats don't want to do that, and then even half the Republicans don't seem to want to do that. Right. At least President Trump and the correction that he represented changed the language. Like I think Biden is having to pretend now to be pro-China. Right. Every Republican, even if they've done business in China or they're pro-China, um, most Republicans are now at least rhetorically on board with this idea that China is bad. So even if they don't fully believe it, I think that's it's got this healthy effect where everybody at least knows that China is public yep. enemy number one. And that's just obviously true. One last thing. Talk to us about the Ukraine. Um, what can you steer? What can you affect from the group of 100? How, what do you bring to the table when we start looking at Russia and Ukraine? I mean, I think I, I, I bring a very sensible perspective that's uh, by default non-interventionist. Like, I don't think we should be looking to escalate. And I think that's a very underrated danger right now. Sometimes this is called a pro-Putin talking point, but I think that is just BS. We are at real risk of escalating this thing into a nuclear conflict. You know, um, I think a lot of the saber rattling, I think a lot of the, the sort of NATO expansionist policy that our leaders, bipartisan, have pursued for a long time 
um, has has helped create this problem. Like, I, I believe I believe this is an America induced problem that we have going on right now of arrogance. And and they'll call you pro Putin for saying know, that. And it's like I'm not pro Putin. Putin's a murderer. He shouldn't have invaded. Like obviously that's bad. He's killing people. Okay, let's stipulate to all that, right? But like this fanatical idea that that Ukraine, you know, and Putin needs Ukraine to be a buffer. And Western Europe, right, and Eastern Europe needs Ukraine to be a buffer. And it's it's kind of this very strange country that nobody understands that well. But and he like, needs its alliance access to get to his ports. That's right. That's right. But 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 obviously making it a NATO country, right, which for whatever reason, Western leaders have not taken off the table, even though that would have probably taken off the table years ago. Quieted this it doesn't down. happen. Yeah. Um, no, they push and push and push. And then this happens. And then the risk is we get too involved. And if we start, you know, a lot of people, it's very frustrating. You look at, at how the no fly zone polls and it polls well, even among Republicans. Right. Um, but then you explain to people what that means. It means an American enforced no-fly zone would mean American planes have to shoot down Russian planes. And 90% go, no, 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 no. And 90% go, no, no, no. Because obviously Putin would respond and look, if he feels like he's at the, and this is why it was so dumb when Senator Lindsey Graham, I think, said like, can someone assassinate Putin, please? Like, no. if he feels, you know, embattled, like he's about to lose his regime, right? I mean, I'm not, he, he could go crazy. And like, if missiles start flying into Poland or Lithuania, they trigger Section 5. All of a sudden, NATO's at war with Russia, which means the United States is at war with Russia. What if we start marching on Moscow? Do you think that Putin's not going to let the, the weapons fly? And then in 48 hours, 2 billion people are dead. And so merely for saying, hey, let's make sure that whatever we're trying to do, whatever supplying of the Ukrainians we're doing, which, by the way, I think we sent like 15 billion there. Can't find $8 billion for the border wall, but 15 billion to Ukraine is fine. But to the extent we're helping Ukraine at all or sanctioning Russia at all, and the danger with the sanctions is you just push Russia into the arms of China, right? And they have this new alliance. But to the extent we're doing anything, it should be designed to get Russia and Ukraine to the negotiating table to have a ceasefire where maybe Ukraine gets to be in the EU, but never in NATO. Let Donbass decide its own fate. Like we know the contours of a good peace agreement here. We should be trying to de-escalate. And I feel like the Western response has been a lot of saber rattling and it risks this giant escalation. Mm, interesting. I didn't expect that. I don't want to go to World War Three. No. Is that right. too much to ask? No, it's not too much to ask, but I didn't expect your answer. That's interesting. Well, a lot of people, they, they want to talk tough. We're going to hold Vladimir Putin accountable. And it's like, don't do a no-fly zone. Don't escalate because you get a nuclear exchange. And, and people forget that's still very possible here. Yeah. Thermonuclear war is no joke. We need to avoid it. I'm a little, I'm a little bit more, uh, I'm a little more chin out on it. Just because um, I've been dealing with bullies my whole life, and I think he's a bully, and I kind of know how they respond. Um, he, he is a bully, and I'll tell you this. It never would have happened under President Trump. I, I we, totally We agree. know that, right? Putin yeah. invaded Georgia in 08. He invaded Crimea in 14. Didn't do much under President Trump's administration. Right? Trump was gracious to his face, and behind the scenes, the administration was tough on Russia. And that's why you need strength. I'm not saying you don't need strength. Yeah. You need strength. Yeah. But again, if, if you're already, you know, okay, he's made his move. What do you do? You send ground troops in? Yeah, no, no. It's it's a spooky deal. You know, I, I, I have said all along, as people were saying Trump was pro-Russian, I go, if he was pro-Russian, he wouldn't have oil sitting at the price per barrel that it's sitting at, because that's the greatest attack on a petrochemical terrorist state that you can possibly do is keep the price of oil below, you know, 70 bucks a barrel. Yep. Well, listen, your people are jumping up and down outside flashing lights at me telling you got to go, and I've been getting there. I wish I could stay. This here. is great fun. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on. I wish you the very best of luck. How can people, if they want to support you, reach out and support you? Thank you. Yeah, just go to my website, blakemasters.com. Uh, sign up, get involved. we got about 100 days to the primary, 
and I think I'm on track to win this thing. So pitch in if you can, and, and let's do it. What's your next event you have coming up here in Arizona where people could come see you? Um, I have a fun event this Saturday. Actually, I've challenged Mark Burnovich to a debate. Is that going to happen? On election integrity. The event's going to happen. I don't think Mark Burnovich is going to show up. Did you know I've never seen the man in person? I've seen Layman and McGuire and Carrie Lake and, and Mark Finch. I see everybody. Right? I haven't seen Burnovich either. It's everybody's working hard. I've never seen Burnovich in person. I've gone to hundreds of campaign events. He doesn't campaign. He campaigns from behind the safety you know, of a camera screen in the Fox News studio. Got to roll up the sleeves and do the work. Listen, I wish you the very best of luck. If you are so lucky as to uh, be elected into the United States Senate, I hope you keep your sleeves rolled up and you keep doing the work. I promise I will. I think us Western men... Uh, we, I, I think we don't, I, I, I don't, I think we should resist shining up too much. I think we need to remember that John Wayne came here to find his persona and become the quintessential American man. He came to Arizona, he left California to do it. And I think we keep our sleeves rolled up and we keep working. And that's how we set, set ourselves aside from everybody else. And I wish you the very best of luck. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much. Hey, sports fans, that's the show. Greg Medford Show in Phoenix, Arizona. Blake Masters run for uh, U.S. Senate here in Arizona. Go out and vote. Uh, make sure you vote correctly. Uh, and uh, if you want to support him, BlakeMasters.com. Blakemasters.com. Yes, okay, we're out.